You awake? Yeah. I just want you to know I hate you. So is my dad. Please go away. Let me sleep for the love of God! Why don't you tell me a story? How do you sleep at night? I don't want to hang out with a bunch of wannabe corporate sellouts. Rock and roll bedtime stories, rumor, innuendo, things you've heard about. We do a little investigation. We come back to you. My name is Brian. And I'm Murdoch. And we are the Story Guys. You can find us at wearethestoryguys.com. It's home base for all our stuff and our other podcast called, surprisingly, Story Guys. Today, though, we, we're talking stories from rock and roll history. Uh, thank you for all the reviews, the user comments, the requests. We have seen the requests for the Leonard Skinner episode. I think we should do that. Coming up oh. in an upcoming episode, yeah. we should do the plane crash because we have not done that yet. Yeah. You know I'm all over that. I, I think everything I know about the plane crash I do know from you, so maybe I should take it and see if I can unearth any facts you haven't heard before. You know, despite the fact that they had uh, the Confederate flag as their backdrop for, I don't know, 20, 30 years, even after you know the plane crash, some of those songs really hold up, man. And it's because they, those Muscle Shoals sessions sound, sound great. The guitar tone on some of those is really good, and those they I, were no know, slouches. That, that's a, a good point you bring up. How much of Leonard Skinner's success do you think you can you can really actually put on the production? I mean, not to say, I mean, there's a lot of Southern rock bands, right? But like Skinner has that special sound and, and a lot of that is that Muscle Shoals thing. They really weren't a one dimensional band, but because of the Southern rock thing, I think they were categorized as such. And then obviously FM classic rock radio has ruined it for everybody. What's your, you fa- know, every, what's your favorite Skinner song? Don't Ask Me No Questions is my favorite song. And then my favorite Skinner LP is Second Helping. Well qualified to do an episode on Skinner. We're going to do that. If you have a, re- a request or a story that you want us to investigate, hit us up at wearethestoryguys at gmail.com. Wearethestoryguys at gmail.com. Send your request there. I will say we're not going to do the Mud Shark Zeppelin story because I did start to investigate that when we got some requests for that, and I've, I've vetoed that. We're not going to do it. <laughs> I, I think it's interesting you just found out about it. I, I, remember- I, I know. Isn't that crazy? But that's what's fun about this show is there's a lot of stuff that you think everybody else has heard because um, I'm finding that too right with like our in excess Michael Michael Hutchins episode still one of our most popular episodes um, thank you for listening if that's how you found us that's a thing that I had always kind of known but I'm finding due to the popularity of that episode a lot of people didn't know the details there yeah so you've got a story for me today that's correct and you have no idea what I'm about to throw on you I don't know if people know this but we actually you know sometimes it's just like whoever is in charge of the episode content that week just surprises the other person so I literally have no idea what story you're going to tell me today. Here's what we're doing on Rock and Roll Bedtime Stories this week. Motley Crue had a fake Nikki Six, and nobody noticed. <laughs> this is the strange tale of Matthew Tripp. Life changed forever in September of 1983 when Motley Crue released their LP "Shout at the Devil." It's because I was at, I was in fourth grade, I was nine or ten years old, and one day all these girls in my class came to school and they had Motley Crue cassettes and they were autographed. What? 
and I'd never seen who they were, never heard of the band, didn't know anything about them. And in retrospect now, like what it was is their parents took them to see Ozzy and Motley Crue was opening up for Ozzy. Fourth grade girls got cassettes autographed by Tommy Lee? At the time it was, I'd never seen like autographs. I'm nine, I'm looking at it. So on the cover are these four guys. And in addition, looking androgynous, they're like menacing. They're with a guy like black and and red leather but it's it's not all over them like it shows their skin and they've got lots of makeup on them and there's a big pentagram in the middle and then eventually you know i went out and got the cassette and then i read the liner notes what does all this crap mean you know it it was crazy and so this tour that they were on broke them and so did mtv like that record broke that band they were just enormous. They actually were on tour with Kiss right before this, and Kiss kicked them off of the, the tour after, like, less than 10 days. For them, my understanding is this was bad behavior stuff, right? Like, they were just totally out of control. Yeah, I mean, the the, the famous story about Ozzy and, and Motley Crue on that, that tour is they used to kind of outgross each other, and that's the tour where Ozzy snorted ants. That's the, this is that tour. I like that. So I had this conversation with my wife earlier where she was like basically equating every man to like a junior higher. She's like, well, you know, our son who's eight does that. And I, blah, blah, blah. You said you did that in junior high. And I'm like, yeah, but that doesn't mean I do that as an adult. Like we were just talking about like, you know, making fart jokes and stuff. And this basically proves her point, which is <laughs> at, a, at a certain base level, every everyone, even famous rock stars on tour are just 12 year old boys who are like, hey, bro. But you won't snort those ants. I mean, they're bored, right? Um, and young and stupid. Ozzy sees a popsicle stick laying on the ground, and there's a long trail of ants going to it. And he gets down on his knees and he goes, All the snorting ants one that apparently drunk snorting ants on his thing. Crazy stuff. So, unfortunately for me, growing up in the South, and in, in, in the 19, like, 80s, this was my Ziggy Stardust, right? Like, so you just never really, really seen costumed rock and roll before, right? I'm, I think I might have had it like Kiss Alive too, but but this was there was something very different about it. Well, I think when you see Kiss, you realize like they're dressing up. Yeah, it's fake, but there you, you that's either, exactly it. But with Motley Crue, there was a little bit of like you kind of bought it. Like maybe these guys really go out in those outfits. I was fascinated who the hell names their kid mick mars and and what the hell was 10 seconds to love about touch my gun but don't pull my trigger let's make history in the elevator i had lots of questions about (laughs) what was happening with this band and it was impossible to miss that right on the front cover that cassette was the sight of frank ferrano jr his that's Nikki Six. He had on the same outfit as everybody else with the big, crazy, teased kind of hair and the makeup. But underneath his eyes, he had those black lines like he was a linebacker. Right. And it set him apart from everybody else. You could barely see his eyeballs, probably because he was completely out of his face. Right? Yep, yep. That's the first instrument I ever stole, so that's how I started out. That's the true story. I, a guy asked me to join his band, and I used to mess around a little bit with a guitar uh-huh. on the way home from school and the way to school. My bus stopped. I had two buses to catch. Um, I stopped at a music store in front. And I had one hour wait every day, two and one hour back. 
and I would go in and I'd practice on this, this guitar. And I had no money, and um, I went in and asked for an application for work, and the guy turned around, I put the guitar in an empty guitar case, uh -huh. and I left. <laughs> <laughs> Forgot to pay. <laughs> and I played bass in this band on a guitar because I didn't have a bass. Oh. That's how I started. <laughs> it sounded rough, man. <laughs> I fell in love with this band. I got to see them four years later when I was 13 uh, on the Girls, Girls, Girls tour. Um, and they were my favorite band. I had an airbrushed Theater of Pain t-shirt from Panama City Beach. Um, like, <laughs> did I you had, buy that I out of the a, window or did you custom order that? Did you walk in? I, and... I, went in I went in with the cassette or the LP or whatever it was and they airbrushed it. It cost like 50 bucks. No like a fortune. way. Yeah, you don't yeah, still yeah. have this shirt by any chance, do you? Nah, man, I really wish I did, but I, I don't. This but, is I mean, back it, when copyright law meant nothing to the, to the Mavericks on Panama City's strip. Yeah. <laughs> also, it's the epitome of what a hillbilly looks like wearing the tra comedy and tragedy Motley Crue face airbrush thing that, you know, thank God for my mom being such a sweetie, really. So I was I was a huge fan. I used to like I, I would draw their logo on the Trapper Keeper. I had T-shirts I, like I had a jacket. I had buttons. You know, I had all that stuff. Uh, so I watched all the videos. I bought a VHS cassette of theirs. Yeah, you did. So imagine in 1988 that I have, because I'm reading Cream, I'm reading Rip Magazine, Heck yeah. and I'm getting Kerrang, kind of like the European metal magazine. Right. But that's how nerdy I was, <laughs> right? It's in it. It was the March issue of Kerrang, and I totally read this. There was a guy in the magazine, and his name was Matthew Tripp, and he claimed that he replaced Nikki Six. There were pictures in in that magazine that just basically said, like, doesn't, like, he looks a little doughy. You know, like, he looked different. That's him, right? That's Matthew Tripp. That's not Nikki Six. So the story was that before Shout at the Devil actually came out, Nikki was in a car accident and injured his shoulder and held up everything, like held up shooting videos, going on tour. So here's this guy who's from Erie, Pennsylvania. He was in the Troubadour, and he runs into Mick Mars. And Mick Mars asked him, can you play bass? They kind of like played, like rehearsed a couple songs. And then he very quickly went into a meeting and met Doc McGee, and Doug Thayer and like basically like their management group and then gave him a contract and then they told him you have to sign the contract as Nikki Six. Wait, what? You, you are not you're not Matthew Tripp. You, you're Nikki Six. You sign the contract as Nikki Six. This is all the story that Matthew Tripp is telling in Kerrang magazine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He apparently was a practicing amateur Satanist. He was in the temple of the set. Well, he was a perfect fit. And so he <laughs> he claims he was the one that said, ah, you got to turn that thing upside down. And that's the pentagram. And that he said that they should call the record Shout at the Devil. And that he wrote a couple of songs, Knock Em Dead Kid and Danger, both of those songs. And um, he wrote a song called Save Our Souls. He claims to have written that, which is the worst, one of the worst songs that band ever recorded that was on Theater of Pain. <laughs> um, he says that he is in the Shout at the Devil video, that that's him and not Nikki Six. 
he explains what happened is that the, the tour was over and he he basically got with you know the the wrong guys after the tour was over and they did some petty theft in a mall and he was driving a getaway car and he ended up in Florida and then got extradited back to Pennsylvania where his address was. So Matthew Tripp gets arrested. They bring Nikki back. Basically what happened, you know. So they basically wash in, they, they wash have out. two dudes that are playing the same role in this band and they're calling them the same name. Right. So and, and you verified this or or that's what we're getting to. That's what I'm getting to. Okay. So in 88 he initiated a lawsuit against Doc McGee, the manager, but not the band. Hmm. And he said that he wrote Wild Side, Knock 'em Dead, Kid, Danger, You're All I Need, Dancing on Glass, and some song called Girls, Girls, Girls. He claimed no. to have written no. as well. And this is around the time where Doc McGee gets a you know, arrested for smuggling 40,000 pounds of weed in the United States. Which is also a crazy true. story that maybe we should and, revisit at some point. And is true. And he, he got a $15,000 fine and a five-year suspended sentence. I got to throw a music festival in Moscow. That's what he got. Which is fishy in its own right. And so, I, have to, I have to make the plug for the uh, Wind of Change uh, Pineapple Street <laughs> podcast. podcast because they go into this very, very in-depth. So we're not going to do it on Rock and Roll Bedtime Stories. But if you want to hear that, that whole story part of the conspiracy theory around did the scorpions really write wind of change or was it the cia part of the the most compelling part of that conspiracy theory is why the heck did doc mcgee not get in more trouble yeah and some other people really did get in trouble right like, like the other guys friend, involved in the same thing yeah so he hires lawyers matthew Tripp does and a private investigator i want to cite that i got uh, some of this information from carwreckthebangs.wordpress.com which <laughs> I, by the way I, I have read everything about Matthew Tripp that is possible there's been it was an amazing piece that was on Reddit that was removed I was really bummed about so well, um, quick quick aside how long has this been floating around in your brain 1988 this is just another point another thing i need to point out about the reason this show has to exist this is the kind of stuff you think whether or not we're committing it to tape <laughs> the fact that for the last 30 years you've been thinking about this story and trying to verify it yeah so from this website that i don't know site and I'll, I'll give you the the actual link that has all of this information on it the truth and fiction about this gets blurred in different places uh this wordpress site they have these comments that are from another site where other people are making claims that it's true so this is one guy i'm just going to read as much of this as i can this is a verbatim it says i am jerry rollins oglesby they call me jr i'm the private investigator that broke the case of the cloning of nikki six no way he's emphatically the clone that replaced blue-eyed frank ferrano jr aka nikki six green-eyed matthew john trip is telling the truth no this way case this case cost me my marriage twelve thousand dollars. Twenty-two. <laughs> by the way, if twenty-two hundred hours of his time cost twelve hundred dollars, he's the <laughs> private investigator ever. And in the end, I saw some supernatural occurrences with Matthew Tripp that would make your skin crawl. He became right. He's a very artistic genius with a child in a childlike mind. 
I met him before the Theater of Pain tour, which was released by the record company. I filed a copyright in the Library of Congress on his music that he wrote before releasing the record. I received two copyrights to the album from the Library of Congress. If you should be so brave, investigate and see if any of this, if you want to go up against me, is the signatory of those copyrights. It was worth it to go through my time with Matthew John Tripp when I heard him with my own ears talking to Doc McGee and Doug Thaler in a con office and heard their offer to a fraud poser, imposter, and fake. Schizophrenia is a very, very, very scary, scary disease. Yeah, it's the worst, right? <laughs> God. It, it, is, it, is, it, is, it is the worst. There's another one where, here it is, here's the quote. I was going through my desk that I'd put in my garage over 20 years ago and came across a few notes I had pertaining to the story about Matthew Tripp and Nikki Six. And the reason I had these notes is because the story is absolutely true. I lived three houses down from him and we were friends until one night I came home and caught him breaking into my house. Anyway, <laughs> I thought, about I thought, three as, months as Nikki Six, <laughs> was right. it Matthew Tripp or was it Nikki Six breaking into your house? Shout out to the devil, Brian. So, <laughs> three months before that, after work one night, I went to his house and brought some beer. When I arrived at his house, there was a blue Mercedes in the driveway. I walked into the house like many times before after work and doc mcgee was standing there in the living room with some huge italian guy and that guy turned around and said if i wanted to live you better go back to where you came from and pretend you've never been here before and i left i waited in the bushes next door and drank a few beers waiting until they left when i went back to open the door it was locked and he would not answer at all <laughs> So here's the facts of the case. It's been debunked. He was never, ever, ever Nikki Six. But so many people bought it. He doesn't even in times, Brian, doesn't even really freaking look like him. But it looks like him enough. You know what I mean? <laughs> Wait, like, well, you, you put a little linebacker makeup on anybody, right? You put makeup on anybody. So Matthew Tripp's no, he's passed away. He he died. He he was like everything happened to that guy. Drugs, drug rehab, mental illness. But he did sue their management and claimed he, he wrote songs. So is that why so, this was in Kerrang to begin with? Yeah. I've got, I'm looking directly at the photographs from the article. So you have been There's able to find the article? Well, it's, I've got the, the pictures, the images that are from the article, and I remember that clear as day. Right. How much of this do you attribute to mental illness, and how much of it is scam, and how much of it is just a rumor running away? It's a lot to do with mental illness, and then it's a rumor that ran away. It went on for so long, and then if he 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 did make himself available to people to do interviews and you know and it wasn't like he was on like entertainment tonight or <laughs> you know or anything you know it's like he can find interviews literally with people with him on on youtube where it's you know, it's a cassette recording there is a video with him and another guy that's that's like three hours long so you can actually see the guy but yeah, I can't sit through a three-hour-long interview with a guy that claimed to be Nikki Six. I'll be <laughs> honest. Like, but I've read all this stuff about it for years. But it, you know, it has been debunked. Like, there never was a, a fake Nikki Six. So, what do you think? Do you, I mean, do, is there any any part of you that thinks actually it might be real? 
any part of you? No, but I will tell you, just like professional wrestling, there was a time where I did think it was. For how long? I don't know. I think when I was younger, I think it was the thing that was shocking because when it happened, it happened in 88 and it was like five years prior to that. And it was like, wait, you mean five years ago? Have I been lied to for five years? Have I been fans of this one person and actually fans of a totally different person the whole time? Yeah, yeah. You mean that guy up there playing one note on a bass for two and a half (laughs) minutes during these songs really wasn't him? Listen, man, when I was a kid, in Cream Magazine, they'd have best bass player for like the the year whatever year in review, and Nikki Six would beat Getty Lee. I mean, <laughs> even as even as a kid, I knew that was bullshit. Like, you know, because I, I knew I knew about Limelight and I knew about Tom Sawyer and like, yeah, man, he's you know, I knew he wasn't a good bass player then. We should both go was, on the record and admit that we have we have publicly played bass in bands. No one get your feelings hurt. We we understand the amount of skill you can squeak by with when needed. That's right. Just like Nikki Six, you can be a multi-million dollar songwriter, play that few notes as well. It's true. <laughs> you didn't play many. So that's my story. I'm sticking to it. I, dude, that story is amazing. I don't know how I never heard it. And I also love that it is something that has kind of haunted you for 30 plus years. <laughs> I, do you feel better now that we've yeah. we've officially hashed this out and you've read every possible thing you could find on the internet about Matthew Tripp? I just was really excited be- to tell you because I knew you have no idea about this at all. Because I know that you didn't spend your early teen years listening to 10 Seconds to Love by Motley Crue. No, I, I was listening by the way- to, to Christian Rock by, yeah. by Phillips, Craig, and Dean and For Him. So yeah, th- those stories aren't going to make rock and roll bedtime stories, unfortunately. Though all those guys had a lot of affairs. And not surprising <laughs> at all once you learn much about Christianity and the you know, in Catholic church, et cetera, et cetera. There's lots of sexual deviance. But yeah, those guys all went on tour together and, you know, it hooked up with backup singers and stuff. Yeah. Well, luckily the guys in Motley Crue, they were, um, they were virgins till they got married. <laughs> Shout at the devil. Rock and Roll Bedtime Stories is a Story Guys production. The show is produced and edited by Brian Eichenberger. Get more stories, hear more podcasts, and book the guys for your conference or house party at wearethestoryguys.com. Copyright 2020. Boy, have we got stories productions. All rights reserved.